Hi, everyone. I'm Philip Mead. And I'm Scott Stigmeyer. And I'm Danny Webb. And this is The Blackest Eyes, a place for intelligent conversation about horror movies. We are currently discussing slasher movies. And tonight we will review the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. This movie has a shocking twist ending, which would have been especially impactful in 1983, and is today considered essential viewing for a full appreciation of the slasher subgenre. So that's why we're here. As always, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast catcher. If you like the show, you can always support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash the blackest eyes and you'll find everything there you need to know. Now, let's get to work. Here we go. get to the summary let me just ask you guys quick about sleepaway camp 1983 had you previously seen the film i know you have danny uh, you and i may have even watched it together i don't remember but scott had you seen the film before yeah um i did not see it in the 80s but uh, i mean sometime in the last 10 years i had uh, streamed it or something for some reason i actually think i watched all the sequels and everything and um but it's been at least 10 years and then i watched it today Nice, and you watched all the sequels as well. At one, yeah, about ten years ago, yeah, I, yeah. Well, so I was doing like I did all the Hellraiser movies, and I did all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I was kind of going through, yeah, stuff like that. Way to go, man! Yeah, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, I'd seen the Friday the Thirteenth and the Halloween stuff over the years, but there were others that I a series, you know, sequels that I had never really seen. So yeah, I was kind of going through a bunch of them. Yeah. And when was your first viewing, Danny? It was probably soon after it came out. Uh, definitely watched it pretty early on when it first came out on VHS uh, and, and really enjoyed it. But I actually never watched the sequels until, I don't know, I guess of a decade ago, The uh, they released a box set that had like a t-shirt and it was just really cheap on sale at Best Buy one weekend and I picked it up and uh and watch them. I, I don't think the sequels are particularly interested. I still really enjoy this first one. Though. I don't think I've seen all the sequels. How many are there? Two or three of them? I think there may be five. I, I don't, and I oh, don't know really? if I've watched all five of them. Oh, uh, there's even one from 98 called Return to Sleepaway Camp, which stars the actress from this one. Well, that, yeah. that one's actually from 2008. Oh, yeah. I did, yeah, even more recent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very recent. But I have not seen Okay, well, let's get into Sleepaway Camp 1983, which at this point was a 400 years ago. Uh, but let's get to a quick plot summary so we can discuss, know what we're talking about. Danny, it's your turn, brother. Lay it on us. What's the film about? Okay, so the film opens with a, um, a family, a, a father and two children boating. And, um, and there is a, on the, across the lake, there's a, a camp. And there is a counselor and a, I guess, I guess two counselors, a male counselor and a female counselor. And they're pulling a, uh, 
a skier behind them, a water skier. And this is our first introduction to the fact that everyone that works for summer camps is apparently a jerk uh, because they're, the, the girl who's being pulled is very unhappy, but they, they won't stop pulling her through the water, so they're making her continue to ski. But anyway, uh, the, the female camp counselor asked to, uh, to drive the boat, eventually is allowed to, and she rams into the family in a terrible accident where people are definitely killed, though we're not sure who. We cut to, I believe, eight years later, um, and a young boy and young girl, teenagers, adolescents, uh, I guess about 13 years old, are getting ready to go off to camp. There is a mother who's like a bizarre sitcom caricature over the top, almost like a John Waters character who is uh, sending her kids off to summer camp. And the kids are Angela and Richard. Um, they get to camp and it is a camp full of awful people. The counselors are all awful. There's a child molester or a, a potential child molester as the cook. Um, everyone is yelling at the kids constantly. It does not seem like a fun summer camp. Um, people start dying starting with the child molester and, and the deaths are very clearly related to the, to the, to the girl, uh, Angela, who, uh, any, just after she is somehow put on the spot or insulted or harmed in some way, threatened in some way, the people end up dying. So there's very little mystery about whether it is her or her brother, or I guess possibly someone else looking out for him, the crazy mom back home who followed him or something. Um, Eventually, you know, after many, you know, Friday the 13th style deaths, I think the death scenes are great in this and some really original kills. Uh, but after a few very original kills, it is revealed uh, that, um, well, we find out who the killer is. I guess we'll wait and talk about that at the as we get to it. Okay, great. Thank you. Overall impressions of the film. You know, I said last week that my memory of the movie pieces, what we did last week, did not really hold up too well. I remember it being much more frightening than it really was. But with this film, I remembered it fairly well. I saw it in the late 80s, early 90s, and it really held up nicely. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It had some very compelling, very effective moments. The thing I want to mention from the beginning here are the special effects and the makeup, which were absolutely fantastic. Just, I couldn't believe it. It exceeded, in some ways, the quality of the film in other respects, in terms of the acting and uh, the general approach. The special effects, in my opinion, were just incredible. So I looked it up, and the effects artist was a man named Edward French, still alive, actually. And he had been nominated for an Academy Award for his work on Star Trek. He won an Emmy for his work on the television series House, which is one of my favorites. I really, really enjoyed Rewatching the movie had a lot of fun looking forward to talking about it scott what about you what was it like to rewatch sleepaway camp yeah it it's a fun movie so um in, in a way right i mean it's also very disturbing in other ways but um yeah it's 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 just a romp okay it, it has some problems but it's a romp and i i enjoyed it it's not very long um which is which is good it's not a very complicated plot except there's a twist. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like the movie overall very much. 
I think not being long is good too. Count yeah. me in the camp that I think 90 minutes is an ideal length for a horror film. This came in around 84, I think, 84 minutes apparently. Uh, Danny, your t- your take, man. Overall, yeah, I agree with both of you. Uh, the special effects stood out for me too. Also, coming off of pieces last week, uh, the cinematography, the, the staging, even the film stock. Like this was this film held up very well, very pretty. Um, actually, kind of surprising because I was expecting. I guess maybe I've only ever watched it on, you know, lower quality VHS or something. I was streaming the uh, the stream off Shutter and it looked absolutely great. But uh, it's fun. It is bite size. Like it's the perfect size slasher film. It's straightforward slasher. It's what you think of when you think of a slasher film. It's got the ten little endings. But Indians model where people wander off and disappear and uh, it's got well it's got a lot of stuff we want to talk about but yeah I enjoyed it the interesting juxtaposition with this movie and we'll talk about this later on especially when we get to the ending but the movie ties dives into some very serious topics especially for 1983 things that would have been taboo in some ways things that still are taboo difficult to talk about difficult to process to understand controversial but it encapsulates it it places it in the context of a cheeseball 80s slasher movie which is really fun uh making us think about things that are important to think about but doing so in a way where we're having a blast in the process and we can talk about how those two elements work together first though i want to talk about the title sequence which i thought was interesting the the sequence was clearly shot in the fall because the trees were those gorgeous fall colors what we're getting ready to see right now or in this time of the year where the trees are changing colors and leaves are falling is my favorite time of the year so beautiful and it was a montage opening sequence showing several scenes from the camp where the movie was going to be set and if you noticed it was a reversal in some ways of the ending of carpenter's halloween so at the end of halloween 78 halloween you see a montage of all the places that michael myers had been in the film the greatest ending in my opinion is just so powerful this does the reverse it shows you a montage of all the places that we're about to experience in the film and for some reason they shot it in the fall which is just so interesting and then when the movie actually begins, the trees change to other uh, green, uh, you know, showing that it's summer and that there's a camp that's getting ready to happen. And then we move into the opening sequence that Danny just described. Either of you have any, I know both of you have said you don't really pay attention to title sequences, but any follow-up or comment on the opening sequence there? I actually think that was supposed to be like modern times. Yeah, after the fact, right? Yeah, after yeah. everything, after the, you know, the flashback and the flash forward, and like it's it's because it, you could see the sheriffs have shut down the camp. That's right. Uh, so I thought it was. I actually thought it was a really good opening, and I never make note of those as as you have said, and I actually have it here uh, in my notes that it was a, a really nice uh, opening montage. Yeah, I noted. I noticed it. But didn't think much about it. <laughs> the score, the score is really sad instead of being creepy, yeah. right? And yeah. So it, it's sort of establishing like a like a, a more somber tone at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. You, you anticipate maybe with this movie some kind of cheeseball synth opening thing, kind of get us in the mood and energetic and everything. Wasn't that way at all? Really took 
an opposite approach. I have just a cornucopia of things here. They're in no real order. There's no systematizing of this at all. I don't know if either of you just have a really brilliant uh, approach that you want to take to this film. If you do, we can certainly follow that. I just have a list of stuff that I jotted down that I wanted to talk about. Does that sound fair? Is that okay? Yeah, sounds Ab- good. I've, absolutely. I've got a, two pages of notes. So. Okay. The first thing that I put is one word with an exclamation point, and it's the word socks. So, <laughs> 80s socks. It was unreal. I mean, this movie, most of their... Um, budget for costuming had to be in socks because they're high quality thick tube socks that every person was wearing and I just wanted to go back to 83 because there was no shame in these socks guys like it's just yes this is what you wear in 1983 when you're going to a camp is is the socks so which I have to ask did you guys wear those socks in the 80s Oh, absolutely. And those short shorts. I mean, <laughs> that is absolutely summer in my life, is that out, those outfits. Well, I, I'm older than you, Philip. I don't know by how much exactly, but yeah, I remember those socks and I remember the shorts that were short. I never wore those sort of half midriff bearing shirts. Uh, I have that note. That- <laughs> there was a lot of male skin in this, if you want to be honest. <laughs> Oh, well, absolutely. Okay. It's yeah. something that we want to talk about it just, just a little bit later. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the mid-shirts, the tube socks. Um, and I, I have a photo of my family going to Kings Island. Had to be in the early 80s. I was super young. And yeah, my parents, they had to dress. I'm wearing sandals with tube socks, right? <laughs> we, we, so open-toed shoe sandals with tube socks on unbelievable you know just and now today you know nobody does that anymore it's all super low cut anklets that you wear with tennis shoes and stuff so i just it was just nice to see you know the unashamed nature of the tube socks so that's where i wanted to start uh, the conversation very important you know speaking of styles of clothing yeah i wrote down i didn't write down socks but i did write down i'm looking now clothes okay i wrote the word clothes um you know, when you watch a movie from, say, why is it that movies made in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, the clothes still look awesome? But when you get into the 60s, 70s, and 80s, at least for me, I, I, it just looks kind of circusy. And at the time it didn't, but I mean, 80s clothes are just as weird as any other decade, more. Yeah, I know. I think they had, you know, class back then. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, it's too goofy right now. But you know, is that going to be true for what are the what are the just contemporary costumes like in modern day films? You know, in twenty years, yeah. is the clothing going to look strange? Or at this point, have we reached a place where it's just it's kind of neutral and nobody's going to pay any attention? I feel like nothing's changed in twenty years. Like you look at films from two thousand, and they you could not tell from the the clothes that people are wearing. Yeah. That's basically true. I agree with that. You know, I've noticed when you, even if you look at like, let's say a photograph of the stands at Yankee Stadium in 1945, it's going to be all men and they're all going to be wearing gray suits with ties, white shirts and a a fedora hat. They're going to be dressed up. And if there's women, they're going to be wearing dresses and high heels and a pearl necklace. 
but if you look at now, I mean, when you go to a professional sports, I mean, you're just lucky if they're wearing clothes. Right. I mean, people, it's just so casual now. Very, very different culturally. I'm all for bringing back the hats. I would Me love too. the fedora hats. I think those are so classy. Love it. The ant. Let's talk about the ant. Just, you know, you mentioned John Waters in your opening montage, um, your summary. She was just unbelievably creepy, wasn't she? And we know that she ends up playing an important role at the end of the film that we will talk about in just a few minutes. But what an over-the-top performance, which was obviously intentional. Uh, I can remember thinking it just feels so off. Like, it's just, just going to be one of those weirdo movies where nothing makes any sense. But no, it was really her character that had that way over-the-top thing and the way it was introduced at the very beginning kind of got you off guard a little bit and you're kind of on shaky ground not sure what's going to go from here then you mentioned again you know waters what what's your take of the performance of the ant and you know how important is that to set up the film it, i mean i think it's uh I, I don't know if it's a good performance but it, it does what she's trying i'm sure what the director was trying to achieve it's just incredibly over the top and um, you know, today we'd probably could talk about like a helicopter mom or something. She seems incredibly micromanaging the kids, uh, and we find out that is you know true to to a great extent later on. But yeah, and it really did remind me of you know you could imagine you know her that character in you know Pink Flamingos or whatever. You easily could have been in a, a John Waters movie, but no other characters like that except maybe the child molester. Yeah, who's a, a caricature also? Any thoughts on the ant, Scott? Oh, you know, a I did not remember her that way. I didn't remember that at all. So I was kind of surprised and thinking, wait a minute. Yes, the movie's a little campy, pun not intended. The movie's a little bit, you know, it's not like a super serious. I mean, it's got a little camp going on. But that was, yeah, I mean, it was just in the in the stratosphere, weird, and I, I'm not sure what I thought about it. I understand that she's supposed to be kind of creepy, but it was, it was maybe a little silly. I, I could have used creepy with not as silly, because this is like the mother of Norman Bates, right? I mean, that's what we've got. We've got like the mom of Norman Bates, and she should be more scary, and it was just kind of comedic. I thought, yeah. And you watch this as a, you know, as a full grown adult the first time, but I can't remember her being that weird when I watched it either. It's yeah. kind of odd. You would yeah. think that would really stood out as something I thought about. And even from my rewatch, you know, a decade ago or whatever, it wasn't it wasn't on my mind that she was that strange. Hmm. I wonder why we blocked that out. <laughs> no, we've all had that experience. I haven't seen this movie in years and years, and I didn't remember it being the topic. I actually, when I saw her performance, I thought. Is this everything? Is this is every performance in the movie going to be this crazy and over the top? Because I don't remember that. And then I was scared. Oh no, this is going to be another one of those situations where the movie is not near as good as I remembered it being. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. Yeah, I agree with you, Scott. I I think the role that she has to play is obviously essential to the movie. I wish they would have come at it maybe just a little bit different, though, a little bit more sinister or even pulled back you know it seemed mm -hmm. pretty obvious that something was really wrong with with the ant <laughs> at the beginning and uh, as it as it plays out that's exactly what happens they'd probably be more effective if they just played her just super kind. straight yeah yeah 
Well, because what we learn about her is not funny at all. I mean, it's just like such a disturbing, upsetting, uh, you know, off, wrong kind of thing she does that uh, it just didn't feel right to me, especially now that it wasn't. Yeah, she should have been, in my opinion, she should have been more sinister. And um, this was just kind of like a clown in a way. So let's move to the camp itself. And one of the first characters that we are introduced to, one of the adults at the camp, is named, what was his name? What was the sleazy cook molester? Artie. 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 Okay, just just about the most disgusting, repulsive, cringeworthy opening shot. You have these children getting off the bus coming to a camp where they're supposed to have the time of their life, camp experiences, all of the memories. And this guy is chewing on like some kind of piece of hay or something (laughs) and is basically saying, wow, look at these gorgeous young kids. What a disturbing scene. I mean, I, I I was actually uncomfortable just watching him and listening to him. And, you know, the older cook, the black gentleman, kind of just brushes them off. It's like, ah, oh, you're crazy or whatever. Whereas, wouldn't that have elicited a little bit more of some kind of, you know, you're sick and we need to get you help? This is disgusting. I don't know. Maybe yeah. the spirit of the age, just the, you know, trying to be a silly horror movie, setting up some future shots, foreshadowing, whatever. But did either of you watch that scene and you were just kind of like, this is icky. I don't really care for this. What do you think? Un- un- unlike the mom, this is the thing I remembered about Sleepaway Camp, <laughs> that character. So it definitely had made an impression on me when I was younger. Uh, yeah, he's completely over the top. Almost, it's the child molester version of the mustache twirling villain, right? It's, uh, and, he, and he gets his pretty quickly. So and after uh, after his bad behavior becomes more uh, more explicit, he he gets, he gets a pretty rough. Uh, uh, I guess not a death scene because he survives, but he, he definitely gets his. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a, a, maybe a little over the top for. You know, it's, can't really play around with you know child molesting as a funny concept. Yeah, I yeah maybe in the eighty three people had different sensibilities. I don't recall. I was very young, but. I want yeah when I saw that bit it was it wasn't very long and he, and he is he is dealt with pretty quickly but it was dealt with lightly I mean he was supposed to be kind of again kind of a comic figure he's so exaggerated where he's lusting and you know it's like he's you know fantas standing there you know kind of in some sort of um fantasy world it's just really off to me and there are, you know, we watch a lot. <laughs> we obviously watch a lot of horror movies, the three of us, and you do see a lot of bad things in horror movies. But there are some things that shouldn't be shown, <laughs> and or at least should be done in a, I don't know, a different way. I yeah, it. I found it uncomfortable too. Well, I think one of the great misunderstandings about at least for me anyway, but I think for horror movie viewers is the idea that we don't care what we see. Like nothing can move us. Nothing can offend us. Nothing can gross us out because, Hey, you watch horror movies 
And of course, I guess we're desensitized a little bit to the idea of someone being stabbed or a traditional horror movie violence, but I do not accept at all the idea that on screen images, uh, dialogue, is, we're just, we just don't care. It just doesn't matter what's on there because we've seen so many horror movies. That's not the case at all. In this simple 30 second scene, made me uncomfortable. The, the, the character, and like you said, kind of a comedic element, didn't care for that at all. He does, of course, get retribution or he gets his uh, vengeance is taken out on him, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not that's sure a, if he died. I would have preferred him like get drowned in the boiling water or something like that. So That's some, some, an example of the great makeup effect, though. His burned body was pretty impressive. It was, you know, and I, I wrote down here, it was a very long, extended scream. So even when the EMS came, he was already bandaged, bandaged up. They were taking him out on a stretcher, and he was still screaming with the same intensity as when it happened. So they really tried to show this was a painful experience. I think even the police officer or somebody said, or who was it? The doctor. It was the doctor who seemed like he came out of Dragnet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and he said he said I, I don't even have any. It's so bad I don't have any medication that can uh, can dampen it. Yeah, it's tra- there, it seems so, yeah. like they were really trying to explain why the guy is still screaming terribly, you know. <laughs> yeah. And also maybe given the viewer, hey, this guy got his. Yeah. Well, that's and, okay. Why not kill him, though? You know, it's yeah. not like they were holding back on any other scenes. Kind no, of, everybody else does. Yeah. Well, I got, I, yeah, I guess I'm not 100% sure about the wonderful uh, nature kill coming up. Yeah, so I was thinking the same thing. Why doesn't he die? And it's not just the, there's not just the piece where all the kids are running in and he's kind of, you know, drooling over them. It's also when he gets Angela, our main yeah. character, in the freezer because she won't eat, right? So she's in the camp and she doesn't want to eat dinner. And so one of the counselors thinks he's going to be nice and he takes her to the cooks in the kitchen and says maybe there's some ice cream or something. So Artie, the gross one, takes Angela, the girl, into, well, anyway, takes Angela into the walk-in cooler to offer her ice cream and he you know, he starts to unbuckle his belt and like he's, you know, I mean, he's clearly going to molest and attack this girl. It's interrupted. But, um, yeah, you can do that in movies. I mean, there are, you know, I can accept that's a possibility, but the way it was done, I just think was, was off. And then he didn't die. And the other question I had about Artie's um, attack is, didn't it seem weird to you that, okay, he falls into this giant, you know, six foot tall pot of boiling water. He falls in because he's knocked in. And when he comes out, he's got blisters and burns all over his face. But this, they showed him scream. It seemed like it went on forever. It seems like that scene of him screaming just went on a really long time. And then one of his assistant cooks comes in and doesn't really do anything. I, I, I mean, that just was kind of weird to me. Yeah, it there's was a whole weird. lot of people reacting in odd ways to violence in this movie. Yeah, an extreme extended long ways with kind of a shocked look for longer than really it should be happening, it seems. Yeah. But one thing about the scene where he is tripped or, he, you know, the, the chair is moved and he falls into the water that I jotted down is I think it's without question the worst POV camera operating I have ever seen in a film. I, a 10-year-old could do a better job of this it 
it was the corn on the table, looking back, looking to the left, looking to the right. It was horrible. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure what they were trying to accomplish there, but if it was just simply the idea of a traditional Friday the 13th, Halloween, first-person point of view, they failed miserably. Do you, do you guys by chance remember that? Yeah, I actually have notes on it. I, I think they were trying to establish it seemed like they were trying to establish that the person was was small to which i mean you would do that to distract from the fact of who it actually turns out to be but that would, doesn't make sense now that when we find out who it is so yeah I, I thought it was really poorly framed and like i don't know also like the whole time i was thinking there's no way this guy can't avoid falling in that water or getting that water dumped on him but but dang it's it, I wanted him to suffer pain, but in my notes, I'm looking at it. I say, uh, next scene, someone attacks molester, dumps boiling water all over him. And my next note is it apparently hurts. <laughs> he does yell for a long, long time. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure what happened either. Uh, the chair got bumped. He slid forward and pulls that over on top of him. Falls head first into it. I don't know. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, but it's like a 30 second deal where he's hanging onto that board in front of him. Why doesn't he just stand up and walk away? Like, I don't know yeah. what's going on. Hop there. off the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he gets burned real bad. It's a good, it's, it's a good kill. Quotation marks. Uh, it's, it's a good. But the best part of it is for sure when we see his face and the incredible effects, the makeup work on his face was absolutely exactly. gorgeous. And also the fact that, again, it, it did not really seem to bother anyone that this had happened. And the, the, uh, I guess he's the camp owner or the director uh, pays off the other employees not to talk about it. <laughs> That's the first of many times that death and violence are just shoved under the table. Yeah. I think talking about Mel is going to be yeah. something, something we need to do. Let me just, I, I, we don't, this is longer than I thought we were going to spend on the child molester, but <laughs> what, what, one last comment on this. Did either of you, Scott, did you think, when he was trying to entice Angela to go into the the pantry, he says something like, "There's always something good in there." Or <laughs> it, yeah. it almost yeah. seems like this is not this is not the first time this has happened. You and never they, know what you'll find in there. You never know what you'll find. Yeah. Maybe other girls yeah. have been violated in there before. Did yeah. he, either of yeah. you think that he was referencing that? I did, and um, yeah, there were just a lot of things like that with him. I, I just was looking at my notes a little bit, and I qu a quote that he said. This goes back to the beginning when the, when the kids are all rushing in. He, you know, some someone says, "Oh, they're a little too young for you," and his quote is, "No such thing as too young." And it's like, oh man, that is just not something you want. We it's called just, them baldies. Yeah. Right oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you just can't say that. You just can't say that. You know, I've noticed, and tell me if I'm wrong, you guys have seen a lot of movies, but it seems like I've noticed over the years that you can, one thing you almost never, ever see on a horror film is a child being killed. You do hear about it. It might happen off scene. They might describe it. And maybe there are examples, but it seems like that's really, really not done. And some of this dialogue with this uh, with this guy probably ought to be in that same category. 
<laughs> just don't ever do that. Well, well said. Well put. Yeah, yeah. Right after the uh, the bad burning, then we get to this conversation with Mel, which at first makes it appear, he's the camp owner, at first makes it appear that he just wants to protect his camp. Maybe he really thinks this was an accident. We don't know exactly what happened. There's no immediate reason to think that there's a serial killer on the loose or something like this. So you already are thinking, okay, this is a little weird that he doesn't want to be more cautious. He wants to sweep this under the rug somehow. And then, of course, the next killing we will immediately be able to see. He's totally off his rocker. Everything should have been shut down. The kids should have been sent home for their safety and for the well-being of the counselors and everything else, if you can call them that. Some really whacked-out counselors in this movie. Um, but, you know, your first impressions there of Mel and his take on the camp. Danny, what, what did you think in his conversation, the reaction after seeing Artie get burnt? Oh, you, you just, you knew this guy's unethical. And I, I like that actor. I think he does a really good job in that role. I find him a, a charismatic. He's, he's fun to, fun to dislike in the movie, but uh, yeah, it, it gets worse, obviously. Yeah. We find out that he also has a thing for young people, just not quite as young as the, uh, as Angela. Yeah, Mel. Mel's a complicated one, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's a great actor. I mean, he was very, you know, his 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 look, his face, his voice. You know, always kind of chomping on a cigar. Um, his whole demeanor. You know, walking around in the evening with his green pants on, and I mean, everything about him was kind of kind of interesting, kind of cool. He's an interesting character, but but. It was kind of strange. He almost seems kind of psychotic in a way that he's like, we can't, we can't let anybody hear about this. And there's kids being killed. I mean, that should be the priority. Obviously. <laughs> the, art, the actor who played Mel reminds me of James Gregory. I don't know if that actor's name is familiar to you or not. Uh, James Gregory played in Barney Miller. He played a ton of roles in television. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also had some some great film roles as well. He's really reminded me of, um, yeah, of James Gregory, just his mannerisms, his face, kind of that rough look on his face and those kinds of things. Uh, in I Barney thought, Miller, was he like the, the lieutenant? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He, he was also a recurring character in Columbo, which is where I originally <laughs> fell in love with him. Uh, so I thought Mel did a good job. I thought the acting was well done. I think you said complicated. I think that's probably right. And we can talk more about that. Well, let's go ahead and, since we're coming off the Artie conversation here, this situation with him and Meg wasn't that weird <laughs> because it was it was Meg who propositioned him. So, yes. is there an ongoing relationship here, or what was your all's take on that? Well, it, the, she does say, "You remember that time you invited me to dinner?" So. He may have initiated it, but uh, yeah, I thought that was, uh, I just thought it was pretty humorous. Uh, and just underline that this is you know, not the nicest guy in the world. Well, I was really scratching my head. Okay, so Meg is one of the counselors. She is kind she's of an a, awful person. She's kind of a nasty person, right? She's a very attractive young woman. And, I, you know, at first I couldn't tell if she was going to be a good person or a bad person. Well, pretty quickly, she's not a good person. Yeah, there's a point where she comes up to Mel, this old, much older guy who's not sort of a looker and kind of weird. And 
her employer basically and she says hey you know you remember when you invited me over for dinner let's do that i mean she really kind of seemed into it and i couldn't figure out what what is she doing what's her motive for this why would she be so drawn to this guy it just seemed that just seemed kind of silly or dumb unrealistic and then he you know he even looks surprised and he he arranged a date with her and then when he comes looking for her i mean and then when she's talking to her girlfriend and she's like oh i got a date you know and she just seemed kind of into it and it's a secret yeah i it's like really i mean that i didn't get it i I didn't get it so whatever well incentive is the exact question is there money behind this for some reason (laughs) right what's the benefit that she's receiving and when she kind of says hey you remember when you invited me to dinner he looks surprised yeah so it's not like this was some ongoing arrangement that they had where oh okay yeah you want to get together again or whatever a very very weird thing are we to presume that assume that she's 18 because she's a counselor i suppose you know so can we at least get him off the hook of you know he's an arty <laughs> character here maybe not you know uh, maybe he would still i don't know but she, well, was, a, not she was a counselor Ill- she wasn't a camper we need to at least say that i think yeah she might it might not have been illegal but it was certainly i mean the age difference oh, yeah. was significant i mean people you know there people do get you know couple up who are maybe 15 20 years that's unusual but it's not you know too too unusual but this was a much i think a pretty big age difference and i i couldn't figure out why it seemed like she was hitting on him and whatever you know danny said she's a pretty horrible person here's here was the question that i wrote about halfway through the film were kids really this bad in the (laughs) 80s are kids this bad today they just were awful the language they were using the hatred for one another a conversation could not get one sentence without somebody losing their temper and having the the thermometer go (laughs) kind of through the top even paul who is trying to befriend and get into a relationship with angela and he's being nice and everything and they become intimate and she shows kind of one little bit of hesitation and he's like Come on, what's the matter with you? You know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm like, whoa, that escalated quickly. You know, how about being a little bit more gentle? What, what, what is the deal with these kids in this movie? And is the answer just simply, it's an 80 slasher movie and that's what you're going to get? I guess it was, I mean, it was so over the top. It did not feel like any other slasher movie. Uh, the softball game, which right. I was expecting someone to pull out a gun and kill someone <laughs> during the softball game. <laughs> My note just says these people take softball very slow pitch softball very seriously, but it was it, it was the older counselors and the younger kids all mixed together. I guess the, the, the adolescent kids all mixed together and everyone screaming the f word at each other and it was insane. The anger in this film, everyone was angry all the time. <laughs> Even the little kids when Meg dumps Angela in the lake later in the film. And, and you know, she's obviously in, in in trauma. She's walking by these little kids, and they're throwing sand at her. Right, and, and they get butchered her because falling of it. in the water. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, there was I, what I wrote down was kids are bullies, <laughs> and it, yeah, it wasn't realistic. Kids can be mean. Kids you know, of all ages, but these kind of middle school kids, yeah, they can pick on each other, they can tease each other and mock each other, but this seemed to be like it was just constant. And yeah, so that was kind of strange. It reminded me, I think it was something maybe, 
I think it was supposed to be over the top, but it was also kind of a thing you got in movies from the 80s. What it made me think of, or the 70s, was the Bad News Bears. You remember the the original Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau? Sure. Now, it's been a while since I've seen that, but those kids were really foul-mouthed and, you know, kind of, well, they were bad news. Yeah, it's, but they were actually kind of nice to each other. Were they? <laughs> they were, you know, they were all losers and they kind of just embraced each other yeah I, I think this film was it almost had to be satirical with how the, everybody was being. here's how every conversation went somebody said something the next person would do this long string of obscenities and the other person would vow revenge that was basically every conversation <laughs> well, how many times did they say oh we'll get back right we'll, we'll get them we'll get them for that yeah. no. so funny can I ask ask this question? Did it seem to you that there was a pretty wide age differential amongst the campers? Um, I mean, I know that, I mean, because some of the campers, not just the counselors, but some of the campers seemed like they were a lot bigger and a lot older than some of the other counselors or campers. Is that how summer camps are? Uh, I, I'm sure they are in some ways, but they were so intermingled. I would, I, you would think those would be in little isolated groups, but they're all just intermingled. And yeah, those people I thought were counselors in the softball game could have just been, you know, older campers. But Richard is getting in conflicts with these guys that look like they could beat the crap out of him. Like it, it, it was very. Yeah, this was the ultimate pick on somebody your own size thing, right? And mm. every camp that I've been a part of, you have separate children's camps, and then you have teenage student ministry yeah. camps and stuff like that. So why the blending? And I actually kind of feel bad for these older kids. I'm like, you know, you're 17 or 18 here, and you're at a camp for the summer, and you're like ridiculing these little boys. At some point, isn't there some self awareness of how lame this is for you? But that self awareness never seemed to come. So maybe they're just taking out the fact that their parents still send them to summer camp and they're 18. I want to talk about Paul's initial conversation with Angela to try to befriend her, which is without question the greatest get to know you conversation I have ever heard. He sits down next to her, says, Hi, I'm Paul. I, I met you the other day. I came here last year and I stole some girls' panties and hung them on a wire. And that was basically the way he started the conversation. <laughs> well, it worked because she actually started talking. It did work, this, but couldn't they have th given him this... a little bit better script than that? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, yeah, he didn't have much game. So, I mean, that's not what you try to, well, somehow it kind of softened her up. This was a, a character, Angela, who just wouldn't talk. She would stare at you and she wouldn't eat. She wouldn't do anything. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't respond. Even with her aunt, she didn't do that. And so it was kind of hard to figure out, is she going to be just sort of a mute? But with him, that's when she starts talking. Yeah, and he starts being kind of... I mean, in a way, he was being he was being nice to her. Other Others were really being cruel to her. And so he was kind of being nice to her. But, yeah, I mean, he was talking about getting into trouble for some kind of panty raid or something well, like that. With other girls, he even right? Said, I mean, yeah, so right. Basically, you even can't trust me at all because I steal your clothes and stuff. <laughs> right, right. He said, I hope, I'm sorry if that offends you or whatever. And then she's like all kind of sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe at the end, you know. She didn't think it was so sweet after No, that. <laughs> no, it changed fast. Yeah. Uh, my next comment is, why are they doing a water balloon fight on the roof? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing, no explanation. Zero explanation. Why are they on the roof? Yeah. 
Was that something in the 80s, you know, that I missed out on? I don't know. I think this was just a gorilla. I don't think it was a water fight. It was a gorilla attack, right? They, they were just waiting on people to make them miserable because yeah. everyone is awful. What? But they had water balloons, right? They had water balloons. Yeah, yeah, yeah they did. They were using water balloons, but I, I don't think that anybody was throwing them back at them. Oh, they were just bought. Oh, I see what you're saying. They were just throwing them at folks from the roof. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, a couple of other things I have here, and we'll see what you all have, and then we'll get to the ending. Uh, the arrow kill through Mel's neck, shooting the arrow through his neck, wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah, that's such a simple, uh, you know, camera tricky thing to do, and it's really effective. Uh, I, I thought that was a great, great. kill. Uh, we skipped out on the, uh, the uh, the one drowning that that happens kind of off screen, uh, but then when the body is found, the snake comes out of the yeah. kid's mouth. Uh, his body is really in a lot worse shape than it probably should have been after just one night in the water. And the snake crawls out, and it's I think it's a really really good dead body, good effect. Yeah, reminiscent of Halloween three when the masks uh, yes. do their damage and the snakes and bugs crawl out. But I thought the the setup for that was beautiful with him coming up out of the water, but underneath the canoe. Very well done. Very, very effective there. Yeah, it was kind of weird, though, because she very clearly swam off, and he's still talking as if she's right there. Did you all notice that? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like she's, oh, you mean already the girl that out was in the water. boat with her? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Leslie or whoever it was that uh, they were you know, you know, pranking. By, you know, trying to drown them. Um, yeah, she she swam away immediately. He watched her swim away, and then he acts like she's still there until the killer comes up and kills him. But the best kill was the bathroom oh, yeah. kill. Agreed. Billy the bully from the water balloon episode goes to the latrine, and he's in sort of a well. I mean, he's in the stall. <laughs> And someone takes a knife and cuts the screen over, I assume it's over his head, and has a stick with this giant wasp nest hanging off of it and sticks it through the hole they've cut, and it falls down, and he gets stung a lot. He breaks out. They'd first kind of put a stick in the door to make sure he couldn't just easily get out. He breaks out and then falls down dead, and when you see him, he's got like what you know all these wounds all over his body even if you're allergic which you'd had to been to die that fast i there were just all these bloody sores all over him but that was a pretty creative way to dispatch somebody yeah one of the things you gotta love about slasher films is the creative kills and that that's one of the best uh phil had a note earlier that was just socks and exclamation point i have a note here that's just beats and exclamation point because that is Easily the, the, the coolest kill in the movie. So many wonderful questions. Where did they find the beehive? How did they get it on a <laughs> stick? Why didn't the bees sting them as they were trying to get it on the stick? <laughs> and are these these doors go all the way to the bottom? Uh, I kept wanting to see the bottom of the door. Like, why don't you just crawl under the door, right, of the bathroom? But apparently it goes all the way down. We never really get a chance to see that. But who cares? It was the best kill. The special effects, again, were fantastic. And what a rough way to go. You know, getting stung to death by a bunch of bees. That wouldn't be fun. Pretty bad. Uh, Okay, so those are some of the things, before we get to the ending and want to discuss some 
fairly important issues here. What other things did you guys have written down just about the movie as we were watching it that you'd like to talk about? Well, mostly what I wrote, most of my notes have to do not just with the ending, but stuff related to the ending. So that that you see throughout, you know, because I knew what the end, I've seen it before. So I knew what the twist, the reveal at the end would be. So I'm noticing as I'm watching the whole picture, um, foreshadowings or things that are going to point to, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Um, so I've got stuff like that. But um, I, the other thing I just wanted to point out is that, so is the character Ricky. So Ricky is her cousin. And... Um, I, they've been raised together apparently, but he's, he's her cousin. He's very protective of Angela and he is every time she's being bullied. I mean, so he's kind of a hero in that way to me. He, he, he's always defending her. He's, he's attempting to, you know, take on bullies that are much bigger than him. He'll, he'll fight 10 guys, uh, who are picking on her. And that was, that was kind of nice. It was kind of a cool element to a character like that. He was never um a traitor i mean he never betrayed her and even but the the odd thing about it so mel the camp owner suspects because he's so protective of angela that when the bullies of angela start to drop dead mel figures out well ricky is clearly the one that's the murderer because he's so protective of her he's getting revenge and so he tries to kill him mel tries to kill ricky um, so kind of a strange sort of a plot development, but I liked Ricky. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. But Mel, instead of calling the uh, the police and having him arrested, goes and tries to kill him. <laughs> for, for the record, uh, well, that uh, we we skipped over Meg's death, but, yeah, uh, which was a nice. Uh, well, Meg and Judy, thirteenth style. Kill. Um, oh yeah, and Judy. Yeah. Judy's got a real mutilated. Uh... Oh, uh, that was one thing I wanted to say before we got anything important. There was they're walking through the woods and they discover the body. I had a pretty good, you know, like I was streaming it at a high resolution. I couldn't tell what was going on on the ground. I paused it. I tried to look at it. It looked like maybe stuffing from a stuffed animal. Oh, you mean the counselor the with the kids? Yeah. Yeah, I never could get it to resolve into what it was. Well, I think so. This is the so one of the, the counselors throws up, <laughs> but one of the counselors takes a group of boys out into the woods. So they're at a camp and they go camping. They go out into the woods to sleep in. Well, not in tents, but in sleeping bags. They build a fire, and the boys are complaining because they're too cold and they want to go back to the the bunk. And the counselor steps away to get something, and then when he, but then the killer shows up with a hat, finds a hatchet. And then when the counselor guy comes back, all the boys in their sleeping bags had been hacked to death, like three or four of them hacked. To th- yeah, when I f- at first. I absolutely had no idea those kids had been hacked to death. I'm yeah. telling you, I could not tell what was going on in that scene. I didn't right away. I'm with you right away because they were in sleeping bags. So when you start hatching, I guess, when you start hatcheting someone in a sleeping bag, there's going to be a lot of cotton and, and stuffing. Yes, that, so that, that was happen, that's yes. what you saw mostly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feels very yeah, that does in fact that happen, yes. that are you googling that to see if no that's no the way personal it experience <laughs> <laughs> but the, but you did i mean i figured out after a moment those must be sleeping bags those must be the boys and that's why he's shocked and he 
you know, doesn't scream and run away, but he just kind of stands there and has a goofy look and then throws Well, I up. can tell you, you know, I read the plot summary then uh, just to see. I, I like to do that after I watch the film to make sure that it lines up with everything that I saw. And it said in the plot summary on Wikipedia that the boys that were killed in the sleeping bags were the ones that tossed dirt on Angela after she was thrown in the water. There's no way I ever oh, would have picked oh. up on that. If, no, 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 but that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why they were. Yeah, killed. I didn't. Yeah, you couldn't notice that. I, you'd have to be like an eagle eye to figure that out. But that does make sense. Yeah, because it's it, yeah. the revenge motif is still mm-hmm. forward. You know, back to Mel for just a minute. This could be reading into his performance, which is fine. But did it seem at times that he went in and out of states of near insanity? It seems like he was like several characters in the film would get these long pauses and focus and that he was just totally intent on finding this person and being done with them. And then it's like he would snap out of it a little bit and be like, oh, yeah, okay, no, I got to get back to what I'm doing here. And then once he starts beating on Ricky, he was obviously in one of those moments. Did you all pick up on that at all or was he just crazy the whole time? This guy's going through a lot of stress, Phil. His, his camp's about ready to go to business. So, yeah, it definitely, uh, he seemed to have moments of real intensity that would then be followed by the next scene. He would be perfectly normal for the whole scene. It, se- it seemed like to me the tipping point, though, was the death of Meg. She was getting ready to go on a date with him, and so she gets killed in the shower. And he he he's looking for her because she's an hour late to his date, and he's got on his spiffy new green polyester pants, and he's walking around asking for Meg, and he shows up at her shower, and she's there. And, you know, she's been dead for an hour, and at that moment when he walks by is when she falls through the curtain onto the ground, and he, he sees her, and that seems to be the tipping point for him. Yeah, speaking of that shower scene, really quickly, we, you know, last week, pieces we just there was so much gratuitous nudity uh and so much just male gaze right so much women on screen just to be ogled at um they have a shower scene here in a movie that is obviously r-rated and has incredible gore all the way through it shower scene with no nudity mm-hmm. yeah which i thought was kind of refreshing i actually wrote one of my comments was not much gore not much um nudity now i took off I erased that second half because of the end, but uh, yeah, I noticed that too. And it, but even though there are some pretty creative deaths, you don't see. I, I didn't think you didn't. You don't see a lot of blood. You don't see. I mean, you don't see people getting. I don't know, eviscerated. You don't see guts. I didn't think it was actually yeah, mo- that and most gory. Most of it's sort of after effect. Right? Yeah, you're like looking yeah. at the body of right. the damage done to the body. You know, there's more male nudity in this than there is female. Some ways. Mm. Yeah. Oh, te- definitely. I think that's a point. I think that's a point to to make for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let's come to the end. Then, does one of you want to describe how the movie ends so that we can talk about uh, what's what's happening here? Uh, well, Angela ends up uh, on the uh, on the beach with Paul after uh, earlier in the film uh, she has caught Paul with. Uh, Oh no, I can't remember the character's name. Judy. Judy, yeah. Judy, which there's a funny story about Judy in, in the future of the franchise, too. Um, but, uh, and uh, the counselors are looking, trying to, you know, trying to, to find them. And they come across, or trying to get everyone, basically. There's a murderer, they're trying to gather everyone. And, 
uh, find the missing people, and they come upon her, and she uh, has uh, uh, Paul's severed head in her lap. She stands up, and we, there's a cutaway, and we hear, oh, it, it's, it's, it's a him, it's a he, and we cut back to her, and it's Angela. She's fully nude, and she is a guy. And it is a, I don't know how they pulled it off. The, the actress is, you know, the main character, Angela, is an actress. Right? And, but there's this, the way she's standing is so horrific and odd. It looks like a Japanese war film. She's kind of like frozen with this Richter-like smile on her face and, and you know, nude from top to bottom. Uh, it is, even if, you know, we'll probably talk about, you know, why it's, problematic but even if it wasn't problematic in that way it's a it's a disturbing image the way her face is sort of locked up in that really creepy smile and her head is maybe a little too big for her body because again i don't know how they how that was shot but it was really a, an effective ending scene but it also the movie just ends yeah from that point which means that her, that reveal is the payoff for the film which has to be talked about yeah, right. Right before that reveal, though, you know, there's another flashback. There had been one earlier. Oh, right. There'd been one earlier where they we learned that the father of Angela and her her brother, who was the one who died in the boat accident from the beginning, that the father was actually a gay man. They, they there was a flashback where she remembers seeing her dad in bed with another man. So there's that homosexual kind of thing going on, and then she there's, so there's that, that flashback, and then later at the end the flashback of. Aunt Martha, again, the really, really weird, bizarre woman who takes in her um, nephew-niece, and we learn that it is actually her nephew that she takes in, and she says, well, I've already got a boy, speaking of Ricky, um, it'd be nice to have a girl, so I'm gonna, you're going to be my daughter, and she gives him a dress, and so she raises the boy, Peter, as a girl. And that's why she's kind of there, there's all sorts of moments throughout the movie where you that makes sense now. Okay, why wouldn't she shower with the other girls? Why wouldn't she let Paul, who wanted to kind of you know unbutton her shirt? I mean, you know, she seemed to have a reaction to that. There, there's a few moments where she you can put those puzzle pieces together later. And and yeah, that that bit where she's holding Paul, she does kill Paul. For having cheated on her with Judy, and then you see her naked. It's a man. It's a boy. The face, like you said, Danny. And then there was also like some kind of growl. Do you hear like a like an animal growling coming out of her yeah. mouth? Her mouth is wide open. Her eyes are, you know, darting to the side. It was that that scene. Just that image is, I think, why this movie has staying power. Otherwise, the movie would be just one of a dozen, one of a hundred. But this movie is the movie it is because of that image at the end, in my opinion. Unlike Friday the 13th and Carrie and Pieces and many others, Sleepaway Camp doesn't try so much to scare you at the ending with a shock value or a jump scare as much as it does surprise you with a twist. Very, very similar in Psycho this way. With uh, It's not that it's terrifying to watch at the end, but what happens at the end is shocking and surprising and causes the movie to have a legendary status. I agree with you, Scott. I think the movie has longevity because of this ending. Today, 
2020 issues concerning gender dysphoria and transgenderism and the LGBTQ community. They're in the news cycle every day. And it's fascinating to watch this unfold. Every day it continues to develop and it continues to pour on top of itself. What we're seeing now, uh, especially among the progressive left, is they're very willing to attack their own if their own are not radical enough in their gender-related conclusions. And so, Scott, bioethical-related issues have been a part of your study, your education. So here's the question I want to ask you about the ending of Sleepaway Camp. Does this feel more like a director's attempt to just figure something out that's shocking in order to put it at the end of his movie? Or is this providing any kind of social commentary on the dangers of gender issues, sexuality, so forth? What do you think? So, in, it, since it's 1983, it, it could well be, I'm just trying to be really weird and come up with something that would be very, very shocking. Um, the, you know, you think it's a girl, but it's actually a boy. And it's a it's a it's a boy who's been raised by a creepy aunt to be a girl. I I don't know. I mean, we've seen movies that do that since then, but I don't know if there was a whole lot before that where we've seen that. So it could be that it's 1983, and he's just trying to come. It's been kind of a light in a way. It's been kind of a campy sort of light movie, and then it, the ending is definitely heavy and dark. It but if that movie were made today. Then I would definitely think that there's a, because um, then you could argue that this is actually okay. <laughs> there's two ways you could go, right? It could be you could be saying that the transgender or the gender confused are dangerous. These people are perverts and they're going to be murderers, and you can't trust your children to be around trans people or gay people because they're gross and dangerous. It could be saying that. Like the movie, um, other movies like uh, Silence of the Lambs, you had Buffalo Bill who was cross-dressing, okay? And the gay community was uncomfortable with making the serial killer a cross-dresser as if those two things go together. And another movie from even earlier, um, Basic Instinct, right? So it had Sharon Stone in it and she was gay and she was a killer. And so the critics at the time were saying, Mm, you're kind of you're kind of painting gay people in a bad light. You could read this movie that way, but I think you could also read this movie at another way and say that so Angela's a victim. Okay, Angela is yes, she's the murderer. She kills everybody. But she's kind of like Frankenstein's monster. She didn't start out as a monster. She was made a monster by someone else who was monstrous. People that are abused frequently become abusers. And so she was this character who's a boy, was badly mistreated in a sexual way, and then grows up. And um, you you could read that that she's the victim, and that by and and the damage that not recognizing a person's gender identity can cause, if that all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually think, I think that second option there is is clearly the one to take. Uh, Angela did not 
choose this. It was chosen for her. And you could make the argument that it's actually very pro-trans rights because it's saying if we force people to live by gender that they don't feel is who they are, it will have severe mental consequences. And I also want to point out that the homosexual couple was a loving couple. It's yeah. the heterosexuals that are the problem right. in the movie. Right. She wants a girl because her husband left her, divorced her, and left her. And so she turned, you know, wants to turn this young boy into a girl for that reason. Um, the the gay men in the movie are seem to be a positive family. The kids are happy uh, until the accident. Everything's going fine. Do you guys remember? I'm just drawing on kind of some some dusty memories here. Okay, the movie Psycho. I mentioned Norman Bates earlier. Okay, so he's a crossdresser. He takes on the identity of his mother and kills women who are sexual objects to him. So there's that. But there were sequels. Okay, there was Psycho 2. There may have been a couple of sequels that actually had Anthony Perkins in it. Um but there was a sequel, and I, I haven't watched it lately, and I didn't prepare read it up before now. But there was one of the sequels, which was a prequel, and it had um, a couple of famous actors, I forget. But it was the mom as a young woman, and the boy, she's a single mom, Norman, is her, is her boy. And if I remember that correctly, I mean, she's abusive. She's sexually abusive. She's like, has like an inappropriately erotic relationship with her son. And that's used as an explanation. Now, I, you know, um, Hitchcock may, and Block, who wrote the book, may not have had any of that in mind. But that's interesting, you know, to me that 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 sometimes films, horror films, can you know, and other films can point that out. That when you children who are abused sexually often, you know, I'm not from from what I have read. I'm no expert on transgender, but I've read a bit and. There is a higher proportion amongst the transgender community of abuse in their past. Now, that is not to say that that is what causes gender dysphoria, but there is a correlation, um, a higher incidence of a sexual abuse in their childhood and um, gender dysphoria later on. So anyway, that's, those are just some of my random thoughts that I'm trying to plug together. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that it's so uh, that stuff like this jumps out at uh, the community is because transgender people are much more likely to be victims of abuse than they are to be, you know, an abuser or a killer, uh, and uh, you know, they're they're more under the threat of violence than they are violent people, and that so films like Dress to Kill and mm. uh, this film. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. You know, there, there's a reason that people have issues with those. Uh, but I think this, I, I honestly think this film probably, if you think about it carefully, does not support those stereotypes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely, actually kind of progressive. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you're right. I agree. I agree totally. I think that, especially from today's perspective, in '83. I don't know if people would have put those pieces together that way, even if that was the. Even intent. I don't know if he. I don't yeah. know if this was intentional. This yeah. A death of the author kind of thing, right? It doesn't yeah. really matter what he intended, but that's kind of what he achieved. Yeah. Yeah. Good discussion. What do you think, Philip? 
yeah, I tracking with all of that. I I think the narrative would be stronger today is that if at the beginning of the movie, now obviously this is not going to happen in 83 and it really wouldn't make much sense, but for the position that transgendered rights are taking today, here's how it would be stronger for their cause. That Angela, who at the time, do we know the boy's name at the time before he became Angela? Peter. It's Peter. Peter comes to his aunt and says, I want to be Angela. Mm -hmm. And the aunt says no you're not going to be Angela you're going to be Peter because that's who you are you're Peter and Peter says no I want to be Angela that's I feel like that's who I really am and she refuses to allow him to do that then the movie progresses and at the end we see Peter finally becoming Angela in a violent rage having killed all these folks because of it that, to me, would be a stronger narrative for the position that we're talking about. As it is, nobody is going to argue that a parent who forces a child to become a different sex, no one is debating that that is horrific. All sides are going to agree that that is a horrendous situation. No one should be forced by a parent to be a sex other than... The debate comes when the child decides that they identify as one gender over another, what then are the parents supposed to do? Which is the moral conundrum for parents and for society at large, and that's the direction that the conversation is largely taking. Does that distinction make sense? Do you see where I'm going there? No, oh, absolutely. Well, that's why I was, that, that's, that's exactly why I was thinking of the intersex situation, because that is a case where the adults make the decision for the child. The child might not even know that this decision has been made for them. Um, so, you know, some examples. So, like uh, um, a a child can be born. This is a, this is a condition where a child can be born with XY chromosomes. Well, XY chromosomes are the chromosomes of a of male of man. Okay, a men. And but because of certain other. Um, uh, chemical things going on in the in utero and and so on um, hormones, they may have female outward mm-hmm. characteristics. So the the baby looks like a female, totally like a female, but has male chromosomes. Well, nobody does a chromosome test on every infant, so they assume it's a girl and raise the child as a girl, and no one knows any different until they reach puberty and don't have their first period because they're chrom- they don't have the internal works of a girl they have testes that are inside i mean there's all kinds of stuff going on but then you've got a situation where you've got a 12 year old maybe who doesn't know you know because their body is um non uh i don't want to say normal but is just a different kind of arrangement of things so yeah with the intersex there's all different kinds of intersex but that's where you have someone where it's an adult making a decision for a child and now they're saying the better way is to when you know that there's some ambiguity don't do any surgery on an infant and wait until they're older and then they can kind of tell you where they where they fit into this kind of thing and and so when we have aunt martha forcing peter to be a girl that made me think of the intersex thing right 
Although in this film, the ambiguity obviously is not there. No, you're right. You're right. It's not exactly the same, right? But very interesting to discuss and very fascinating. And watching these issues unravel before our eyes and the way that they are engaging in these conversations and the willingness of a community to attack anyone, even those who have uh, a very similar worldview, a very lens through which they view the world, uh, it is a fascinating time in which we live. And these are very difficult, very complicated issues. From a Christian worldview, sympathy, empathy must be in front of us at all times. So easy for us to begin to lay out certain propositions about what is and is not correct and what uh, being formed in God's image looks like and the implications of that. Uh, but these are incredibly difficult issues that involve real people with real feelings who are engaged in very, very difficult conversations about their own life and their own understanding. And uh, the rage at the end of this film, uh, that look on her eyes, that just really, that, that spoke to me. Uh, no matter what side you're on, there are difficult, difficult issues that are being uh, have layers are being pulled back on this, and it's very complicated, and um, love needs to be expressed to all who are engaged. Any other thoughts on that? Well, just well said. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's hard to know for me if if this was, if the director was trying to make a serious point, but there is definitely a serious point, and and the way our society is now. This particular conversation is much more in the forefront than it would have been in the 80s. I think in the 80s, people would have seen, oh, you're, you're gender confused. You are a monster. Now, I, I don't think that is the, well, hopefully that isn't how people um, think or we're moving to a point where they don't think that way automatically. And so, yeah, I, it is interesting. That's you know, why we're discussing this. It would be fun. Movie. I've not done this. I don't know if you all did. To go back and read some reviews in 83 of the film to see how even... Critics were processing the end, if they even were, to this level of, you know, this degree. But when I saw it, Scott, my thought, my initial thought was not to look upon Angela, Peter, as the villain here. For me, the aunt was the antagonist without question. That was the problem spot for me. I don't know if that's how other people would yeah, have approached like it or would. not, but that's the way I took it. Yeah, I feel like it would, even in when it was made, that would have been how most people would have taken it. And there's obviously would have been possibly the negative subtext about, you know, transgender people being violent or whatever, but clearly she's a victim. Yeah. Know? What a fascinating conversation. And you can only get this at the blackest eyes, by the way. Nobody else is going to tackle this stuff. Hey, what else? Anything else about the movie? We've been going an hour and 20 minutes. We better wrap this up. It is yes, on sleepaway camp. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, anything else you want to say? No, it's ever, I covered what everything in my notes. No, if you're a horror fan, and I'm sure, assuming you are, um, you haven't seen this, you you should see it. It's, it's an important horror movie. It's probably not sort of an A-list horror movie that everybody knows as a classic, but it is. it has staying power. It is culturally important. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast. We'd love to have you join the conversation. Tell us what you think, where we're right, where we're wrong, 
and join the community with us. Thanks again for listening on behalf of Scott and Danny. Stay scared out there. Have fun. The fall weather is coming. It's beautiful. Let the leaves fall. Let the pumpkins be lit. There's horror movies to watch. We'll see you next time.